beginning with verse 7. James 4 and verse 7. saith God resisteth the proud but giveth grace unto the humble submit yourself therefore to God resist the devil and he will flee from you draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you cleanse your hands ye sinners and purify your hearts ye double minded be afflicted and mourn and weep let your laughter be turned to mourning Joy the heaviness. Amen. But anyway, verse 7 again. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you right now. We ask your blessing to be upon the reading of your holy word tonight. We trust you, God, to speak through us and to us. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You may be seated. The title of the message tonight is Spiritual Warfare in Daily Life. Spiritual Warfare in Daily Life. So we have tried to give you some practical things from the Word of God in your daily living. And tonight we're going to deal with spiritual warfare. Okay? This is a huge vast subject that I don't preach a lot about, okay, as far as the demonic. I don't spend a lot of time on that, but I'm going tonight to teach you some things about spiritual warfare It is important for us to understand, okay? Now, I'm going to give you statistics, um, a lot of information tonight terms, definitions of terms that are not found in the Bible. These terms are used by theologians and by those who practice the occult. Okay? So a lot of information, statistics, definitions of a lot of terms, uh, quite a bit of scripture tonight. Okay, so we're going to cover a lot. And I trust if you pray for me, I'll be able to get through all of this information. Okay, amen. To begin with, uh, Dr. Tim Sisk, S-I-S-K, missions course, a course on missions, has studied church, church in church history. And this is very interesting. Uh, he says, he cites Dr. Peter Wagner, says in the 1950s, evangelism, was the focal point of the church. That means reaching out to the lost. 1960s, the ministry focus of the church was to the poor and oppressed. 
in, in the 1970s, the focus of the church was prayer. In 1980s, the focus of the church was prophetic ministry. In 1990, the focus began to be on spiritual warfare. Okay? Now, in 1900, um, the people in the world that consider themselves to be Christians, make sure I've got this right, in 1990 specifically, now keeping in mind that in 1990 we had this warfare, okay, we got 1990, the shift the focus of the church is warfare. So he said 1990, the statistics of the world that consider themselves Christians, 34.4%. That means worldwide. 34.4% of the people in the world consider themselves to be Christians. 2002, it dropped just a little bit, 33.1%. Okay? That's about 12 years' time when the church's focus was on spiritual warfare. We'll get into this and explain it more to you in a moment. That has to do with people uh, mapping out the spirit world, which means territorial spirits, uh, for example, over a nation, over a city, different groups of people. Uh, the church would begin to go into those places and begin to pray against those territorial spirits launch spiritual warfare okay, against those what they call territorial spirits. Now the focus again in the uh, 1990s was that spiritual warfare. But it's interesting that after all that, the church going against these principalities and powers in the airs in different parts of the world, that there was actually a decrease in the amount of people that claimed to be Christians. Okay? I'm telling that for a reason. Tell you that for a reason. Okay, you with me here? We'll come back and talk to you a little bit about that. Uh, so, really, the point being is that our focus really needs to be on our devotion to Jesus Christ. Now, that's that's where I am as a minister. I do believe in spiritual warfare. I do believe in demonic powers. I do believe that reality. Okay. But you're not going to hear me always talking about devils. And there is a reason for that. Because I feel like personally that we should focus more on our devotion to Jesus Christ and our purity and our relationship with Him. And that I believe that if we do good, we can overcome evil by doing good. So, you know, I'm not going to look for a devil... Uh, under every chair. See, if you're not careful, you can move into what is called animism, animism, which is that the devil is doing everything. Okay, we'll get to that in a minute. So, let me just stay on track here. Um, according to James chapter 4, verse 7, the first thing we do is submit ourselves to God. And then we resist and He'll flee from us. And again, verse 8, Draw nigh unto God, and He'll draw nigh to you. 
focal point there in the Scripture is drawing near to God. Amen. Submitting ourselves to God, which means making sure we're right with God. And then you resist the devil and he's going to flee. Literally like a scared rabbit. Okay? If you shift the focus to where it's not about God and being right with God and drawing near to God, you shift the focus to the devil, okay? I think that you're really going to get caught up in some things that you shouldn't get caught up into. Alright? There's a balance here and we'll get into that in just a moment. Uh, two kingdoms in conflict, as we know. It is reality. Matthew 12, 26, Satan has a kingdom. And in Matthew 12, 28, the Bible tells us, of course, God has a kingdom. So there's two kingdoms, obviously, that are in conflict. There's the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. The kingdom of light and the domain of darkness. There is a conflict that is there, right? But the thing is, where do we focus? How do we handle it? What do we do with it? Uh, according to the word of the Lord. Now, let's go over to John, 1 John. Okay, 1 John 5 tells us this, verse 19. And you're going to need your Bibles tonight because I'm going to cover a lot of Scripture. If you don't have one, if you lift your hand, somebody will hit you a Bible that you can use, okay? 1 John 5, 19. And we know, John says, that we are of God and the whole world lieth in wickedness. So obviously... The scripture tells us that the whole world lies in the hands of the evil one. And we can see that. We can see that he is working in the world today. We can see that, right? But the scripture tells us that if you're in God, and we know that we are of God, that means that we are, if you're in God, you don't have to worry about the devil. Because those that are in God are going to be protected by God. Rest of you. We see right here, there's not a third category. There's not a third category according to the Word of God. Either you're in God or you're in the world, which is in the hands of the evil one. So there's no third category. But if you're in God, then God protects you from the one that has the world in his hands. That means he's working in the world. You with me here so far? Okay. Go to 1 John 4 and verse 4. John says, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Now, who's talking about? He's talking about the devil. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That means though, listen. He said, greater is he. That means the devil's great in power. The devil is stronger than a human being. He's got more power than a human being. He's great, but he's not greater than God. He is greater than human beings, but he's not greater than God in power. Okay? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Correct? Okay. So if we are in God, 
because God is more powerful than the enemy, we automatically have victory over the enemy. Does everybody understand that? Okay. Praise the Lord. Now, two terms. This is animism. It's A-N-I-M-I-S-M. And secularism. Secularism. Animism or animism. A-N-I-M-I-S-M. Animism is this idea that Satan is in control of everything. Okay, or demonic spirits or spirits of any kind, even good spirits that are all in charge of everything that happens in the earth. So if you're driving your car and you get a nail in the tire, okay, you get a flat tire, and you get out and you look at it, you say you got a flat tire, and you say, man, the devil gave me a flat tire. No, the devil didn't give you a flat tire, the nail gave you a flat tire. See what I'm saying? You can go into these extremes of animism where the devil is doing everything. Right? Or you're walking outside and a, you walk under a pecan tree and a pecan falls out of the tree and hits you on the head. You say, the devil hit me on the head with a pecan. No, the wind blew it down. See what I'm saying? Okay, so you got to be careful about Everything that happens in life is because the devil did it. Or the devil made you do it. Or the devil did it. He, he doesn't do everything. Some things just happen. On the other hand, there's the secular, secularism which says there are no spirits at all. Everything has a logical, physical cause. There's a balance. We do believe in a spirit world. We do believe that there are demonic spirits, angels of the Lord, but there's also some things that happen in life and in the world that do have a physical cause, and there was no demonic spirit involved with it at all. There's a, there's a, there's a balance that we have to draw here. Okay, you all with me? All right, just bear with me. Let's talk about territorial spirits. Go to Ephesians chapter 6. Okay, what does Paul say there in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12? He says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So he tells us very clearly that we are in a spiritual warfare. It is a spiritual battle that we're in. So we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, spiritual witness in heavenly places. So it's very, very real that we, we are in a battle against the kingdom of darkness. Everybody understand that? Okay, and there are territorial spirits. Now, it's debated as to who put them there. If God put them there or if the devil put them there, I'm not going to get into all that. I do believe, though, according to the Word of God, that there are supernatural spirit beings that have been placed over geographies, whether they're placed there by God or by the enemy. They are there. In Daniel chapter 10, let's go there. 
Paul is telling us here that we wrestle against those spirits. And then we have a very good example of this, these territorial spirits, here in Daniel chapter 10. And we're going to look at uh, chapter 10. Verse 12, we have the angel coming to Daniel here. And in verse 12, he says uh, to Daniel, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. Let's show you the power of prayer. Okay, Daniel was praying, he was fasting, God sent this messenger angel to him to give him a message concerning the end times. This angel said he came for his words, right? But look at verse 13. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. So what he's saying is that when Gabriel was trying to break through, he was trying to come with this message from God. And when he did... The enemy set up a block in the heavenlies to keep him from bringing that answer from God to Daniel. And so the Bible tells us here that God sends Michael, we know as the archangel, to break through that block or that barrier that the enemy had set up that was keeping Gabriel from bringing the message of God. Okay, And so the Bible tells us that once... Uh, we see that prince defeated. Keep going here. Okay. Verse 13. But the prince of the king of Persia withstood me 21 days. Lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. Now I, now I am come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in latter days, for yet the vision is for many days. When he had spoken such words unto me, I set my face toward the ground. I became dumb. And behold, one like the similitude of the Son of Man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spake and said unto him that stood before me, O my Lord, by the vision my sorrows are turned upon me. I re re retain no strength. For how can the servant of this my Lord talk with this my Lord? For as for me straightway there remaineth no strength in me, neither is there breath left in me. Verse 18. Then there came again and touched me, one like the appearance of a man. He strengthened me and said, O man, greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be unto thee. Be strong, yea, be strong. And when he had spoken unto me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for thou hast strengthened me. Then said he, Knowest thou wherefore I come unto thee? And now return to fight, look at this, with the prince of Persia. And when I am gone forth, lo, the prince of Grecia shall come. So, the prince of Persia will be defeated, and then following him, another geographical spirit will come in his place. Now, you look at the empires of history, what did you have? You have Babylon, Medo-Persia, then Greece, and then Rome, correct? So, the angel Gabriel is saying, once the uh, prince of Persia is defeated, the next empire, the Greek empire, it has a prince, and it'll come in its place. So, what we see here in the Scripture is that there are geographical locations that these principalities and uh, 
powers rule over. And I, I know that's in the Bible. Um, the question, though, for us is, is that when we go out, let's say, here in Odessa, Texas, there is a prince in, or that is over this area, a geographical prince, a demonic prince, okay? And under him, he's got different uh, other spirits underneath him, and they're doing the bidding of Satan in this city. Now, before people can come to God, do we have to go out and defeat that prince that is stationed geographically over this area? My question is, is that principality, that demonic spirit that is seeking to hinder the work of God here in Odessa, Texas, does that spirit have to be bound before people will come to the Lord? No. Because there's more reasons why people don't come to God, okay, than just a demonic spirit that is geographically located in their area. Now, obviously, that principality is trying to hinder people from hearing the gospel and hinder people from coming, but that's not the only reason why people don't come in and are saved or the only reason why people reject the gospel sometimes is just their own stubborn rebellion. It didn't have anything to do with some principality or power that had a geographical uh, stronghold in the area. There's just some people, again, they just, they're just going to rebel against the gospel on their own. They don't need the devil to help them. Right? So my point is this. Is that after 12 years, from 1990 to 2002, 12 years of the church's focus throughout the world, okay? Whether it be Japan, getting on the, the tram, the train, and going around Japan, praying against the principalities and powers, or, or whatever, Africa, you know? After 12 years, there wasn't an increase in revival or souls coming into the kingdom. There was actually a decrease. Okay? Think about that. So there's more to it than trying to map out the spirit world, you know, and say, okay, we've got to defeat this principality and power before we can have revival. Because the church has tried that for, you know, from 1990 to 2002, tried that, and there was no increase in revival. So a lot of times I think that we as the church give the enemy more credit He's looking to get credit. And we give Him more credit than He deserves. And I do understand that He's opposing and all of that. But that's, when you look at the statistics, you would think the church began to focus on spiritual warfare for 12 years, from 1990 to 2002, that there would be a huge difference between the percentage of those that believe, claim to be Christians in the world. But it actually decreased. So the question then is, mapping out the spirit world, the geographies, the principalities that are over different parts of the world and praying against them and coming against them and binding them and all of that and casting them out. It actually didn't increase the results. Now I hate to take your candy stick away from you. Okay? What I'm trying to say is that is that some of us, and I'm not... I don't have anybody in mind. Some of us are so focused on the devil on a daily basis that we have completely lost 
our focus about what Christianity is all about. And it is about knowing Jesus Christ. It's about having a relationship with Him. It's about living a pure and godly life. And when you do, you're not going to have to worry about the devil. The Bible says he, he can't even touch you. If you're living the way that you're supposed to live, He can't even touch you. Now, you know. So if you're the kind of person looking for a devil behind every chair, underneath every chair, under every rock, we got to bind Satan. we got to bind demonic spirits before, you know, God can send revival. I don't see it in the Scripture. Okay? In fact, I'm going to show you Jesus. I'm going to show the apostles. Neither one of them were focused on the devil or demonic activity. That was not their focus. They came in contact from time to time with people who had demonic spirits but you wouldn't have even had known that they had demonic spirits at the first. Because when you looked at them, they looked like normal people. But when the King of Kings showed up, that's when there was a manifestation that that person had a demonic spirit. But Jesus wasn't going around looking for people that had demon spirits to cast demons out. The apostles weren't going around looking for people to cast demons out. If they showed up, they cast them out immediately. Understand? Praise the Lord, everybody. Are y'all all right? Okay. Hallelujah. We don't have any demon possessed people in here tonight, do we? If we do, come on up here. We just cast them out. We're going to try to win you to God. Then you can't blame the devil. You think, well, I want to live for God, but the devil won't let me. Well, that's an excuse. You say, praise the Lord. Okay, so I do believe. Again, the Bible is clear about territorial spirits. But are we supposed to map them out? And aren't, you know, like, okay, this spirit, this principality over, you know, uh, Taiwan, and this spirit over Odessa, Texas, and this spirit over uh, Zambia, you know, and we're going to pray against these principalities and powers, and we're going to bring them down, and when we bring them down, they're going to see revival. Where do you see that in the Bible? That's something the church came up with. That's something the church imagined. I believe the spiritual warfare is increasing in the end times, but I don't see uh, the need in the Bible to be mapping out the territories of demonic spirits, trying to find out what their names are. I don't think it makes any difference if you know what their names are. I think only one time, maybe I might be mistaken, one time, only one time Jesus ever asked, what the name of the Spirit was. And He said, We are legion, for we are many. But he, every time, that's why we've got to look at the Bible. We've got to see what Jesus did and what He said. See, we think we've got to, as Christians, we've got to map out the Spirit world geographically. We've got to know all of their names. And when we finally find out what their names are, then we can drive them out. Okay, first of all, I don't see that in the Bible. Somebody said, well, Ezekiel got a map out. Ezekiel, I think chapter 4, he got a map out and mapped out the city. We're supposed to map out the spirits. Where do you get that? Ezekiel mapping out the city is not a, not a picture or a, a teaching that's telling you to map out the spirit world and try to determine their names. You know what's happening to the church? We're moving into Christian magic. Because what we're starting to do is we're starting to say, okay, 
Okay, I'm going to map it all out. I'm going to find out what the names of all these spirits are. And whenever I can say the, just the right words and just the right prayer, and I can name the name of that demon, then we'll be victorious over the devil. That's, ma that's Christian magic. When you think you have to say the right words and you have to know the name of a demon. It's not about... It's not about having the right prayer and the right words. Ooh, God, you don't want me to talk like this, do you? Because I, I know, I know, I know y'all are reading all those books that talk about, now you got to pray this prayer just like this, and the words have to be just like this. You got to know the name of the devil that you're dealing with, and, and you got to map it all out. And it's not in the Bible, it's irrelevant. You don't have to know the. the the, the name of the demonic spirit that's inside of the person. Now you go and say, what is your name? And he says, I'm Johnny. Well, don't you know that that, that demonic spirit inside of that person will deceive you and tell you his name is Johnny and his name not Johnny? Here you go, come out Johnny! It's not important to know the name of the Spirit. Okay? Alright, say praise the Lord. Now, you've got a Bible for me and that, t that tells me I've got to find out what the prince's name over this city and, and I've got to be able to say a certain prayer that's going to remove him and I've got to know his name. You've got a Bible for that. Bring it to me. and I'll change my message next time I preach on demonic. Say Amen. God bless your heart. That's magic. Take it into magic. Words and how they're said and names. Don't go there. You know what I'm saying? For example, we have in the church another form of Christian magic. You know what it is? Pastor stands up in front of a group of people and says, If you'll confess that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. Or if you say that you accept Jesus as your personal Savior, you're saved. And so a person comes to the front and they say, I now accept Jesus as my personal Savior. And they say that prayer word for word, and it didn't mean a thing. But the pastor says, you're now saved, you're on your way to heaven. Let me give you an example. Okay? There was a young woman who was teaching some children with puppets. Okay, the gospel. And she had some lifesavers. Y'all know what lifesavers are, right? How many of y'all like lifesavers? She had some lifesavers. So she's teaching these children with, with puppets. And <clears throat> she says to the children, she says, Hey kids, Jesus is the true lifesaver. And those kids go, Wow, Jesus is the true lifesaver. And the woman that was teaching those kids said, how many of y'all want to receive Jesus, the lifesaver, into your life and be saved? And she says, if you do, we'll give you this role of lifesavers. Well, how many of those kids are going to turn down a role of lifesavers? <laughs> the point being is, 
they prayed that Jesus would be their lifesaver so they could get the lifesaver, and not one of them were saved that day. All they wanted was the lifesaver. See, you can manipulate a child to ask Bozo the Clown to come in their heart. Just call on Bozo the Clown to come into your heart and he'll save you because here's your, here's your lifesaver. What I'm trying to tell you is that there's some kind of mechanical prayer that we pray that somehow is supposed to bring you into the kingdom of God is absolutely, totally nothing short of Christian magic. That's why there's so many people out there today. They're not saved. But they will tell you, I confess that Jesus was my lifesaver. Because you said the words a certain way, right? James, James chapter 2 tells us, you go back to James. James 2.19 says, Thou believest that there is one God. It doesn't say you're saved, James 2.19. If you believe there's one God, he says you do well. The devil be devils believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead, being alone? So you said, with your mouth, I believe in God. I believe that Jesus is my Savior. You said those words, you know, magic words. And the Bible says the devil believes in one God. Amen. Jesus said, you must be born again of the water and the Spirit, or you cannot enter in the kingdom of God. Being born again of the water, water baptism in Jesus' name, for the remission of your sins. And being filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. There are so many people today that go to churches all over America, and they say, I've accepted Jesus as my Savior, and I believe God. Okay, have you been born again of the water and the Spirit? Have you been baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost? And see, some of you are falling for this easy believism that's being preached now, you're starting to accept that, well, maybe everybody is a believer. The devil believes in one God and he trembles. There's a lot of people that are claiming Jesus to be the lifesaver because he gave them a lifesaver. And they're not, they're not any more born again than Bozo the Clown. You better stick with the Word of God. Well, I don't know. Maybe we better call Bozo the Clown and see if he's born again. I don't know. I don't have anything against Bozo the Clown. But I'm just telling you, man. The churches get so caught up in such absolute total foolishness. And we're not blaming, if we're not blaming the devil for doing everything bad, we're saying God did, you know, everything that's good that comes in life. God did it. I know you want to give God the glory, but God might not have had nothing to do with it because He don't even know you. Are y'all okay? I'm not trying to be mean. I'm being truthful to you. So we got to stay away from this. Christian, really it's Christian and, and, and animism. Okay? And then think we got to say, okay, we've got to find out what the name of the devil is here. We've got to deal with it. We've got to bind them. We've got to cast them out. We've got to know the name. We've got to say a certain prayer and say certain words. 
that's the key. I'm going to go in the Word of God tonight. I'm going to show you very quickly what did Jesus say and do when He came across demonic spirits? What did the apostles say and do when they came across the demonic spirits? Y'all okay? Don't look at me like that. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, don't look at pastor in that tone of voice. You know what I'm telling you is the truth. Everybody and their dog saved. I'm not kidding you. The dog saved. Dog's going to heaven. How did he get there? How's he going? Because he barked a certain way. And he blinked his eyes. That's how I know he has the Holy Ghost because he blinked his eyes. He barked a certain way. We, gotta, we just got to stay with the Bible, okay? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do believe in territorial spirits, but this mapping them out, finding out what their name is, praying certain prayers by certain words, you know, when we get the victory over, then revival's going to come. Uh, okay. Instead of being so negative, can any good thing come out of that? This coming against these territorial spirits, can any good thing come out of them? these things, praying against them, walking the streets, taking authority over that principality over Odessa, Texas. Yeah, some good can come from it, but probably not what you think. Let me give you some things, some positive aspects. Now, brothers and sisters, you need to understand that this is not just your pastor talking, okay? I'm giving you some information that from an individual who is a doctor of theology and missions who has looked at this for years and years and years. Right? So don't think I'm just making this up as on the fly here. I got me using my personality, you know, all that. But this thing is researched. Okay? What I'm saying to you is researched. It's important for you to understand that. Right? Now, some good things can come out of it. Number one, it causes the church to get serious about their walk with God. Amen? And you get together and say, we're going to have a prayer meeting tonight. We're going to pray against every devil in hell tonight. You know, Odessa, Texas, man, we're going to bind them, cast them out, drive them out of Odessa, sending them on hands. <laughs> People get a church, man, they get on, man, they're on fire, they're serious, they got that serious look. Oh, we're going to tear the devil up tonight, you know. It's like Billy Sunday. Yeah, I don't know if y'all ever seen Billy Sunday when he preached. He was a wild preacher, man. Billy Sunday, man, he'd get up there and he'd punch the devil in the mouth. He said, I'm, I'm whipping the devil tonight. Punch the devil in the mouth. He'd act it out, boys. He's punching the devil. And the devil's not even in their house. He's not even there. He's off work. He's off dealing with somebody of importance. The devil's been fighting me all week. Man, you must be super important. Because he don't mess with unimportant people. He's over here. He's not omniscient. He's not everywhere. He doesn't know everything. Okay? But yeah, yeah, I've been fighting. The devil's been fighting me all week. 
No, he's probably fighting Donald Trump. He's probably fighting somebody like that. Okay? He's probably over there in North Korea stirring up Kim Jong-un to send a big old missile over our way, man. Hallelujah. Once he can put a little suitcase bomb on the top of it. And... No. Most people say, the devil's been messing with me. I'm going, oh, really? You don't even know your address. Don't flatter yourself. You're not that important. No, I'll tell you what you've been fighting. You've been fighting your own flesh. You've been fighting the world. You've been fighting your own flesh. That old sin nature. Hallelujah. If he is bothering you, he sends some little old butt private demon to your house. He didn't come himself. Well, he know he knows he all he gotta do is send a little butt private demon to your house. He know he don't have to come himself. Wouldn't you hate to get to heaven someday and stand before the throne of God and find out, boy, you thought you were in some great spiritual battle with the devil, you know? Amen. And he gave you fits, man. And you, oh boy. And then you find out he's some little old two foot demon. <laughs> and the devil, he don't even mess with you. He don't have to mess with you. Brother Dice used to say it like this. Amen. He said, poor devil, cast the man out of the devil. Cast that man out of the devil. with you today. Oh, I'm fighting a big spiritual battle, man. The devil's coming after me. If he is, you of supreme importance. A man like Martin Luther. Martin Luther? Y'all know not Martin Luther King, but Martin Luther. Right? Lutheran, one that has a Lutheran church, one that was a reformer. Do no, no. you know what? That man was turning the church in history to believe the just shall live by faith. Instead of works like the Catholic Church believed in that you had to work your way into heaven, Martin Luther said, no, the just shall live by faith. We're saved by faith through grace and that not of ourselves is a gift of God. And when that man got that revelation of truth and he started trying to turn the church away from the, from the false doctrine, the devil came against him many times. The literal devil. But it was a man of significant importance in church history that the devil came and fought. Well, Pastor, I'm really having a tough time, man. The devil's really giving me a hard time. He's he whooping me back. Why is he whooping you back? Number one, he does not even know your address. Number two, if he is coming against you, you're supposed to have authority over him. He does not have authority over the church. If you're walking with God the way you're supposed to walk with God, He doesn't have any authority over me or over you. And if He's giving you fits, why is He giving you fits? Amen? Number one, you must be really important if He is. Number two, you've probably just got a made-up devil. You have an imaginary devil. I know y'all don't want me to tell you all this because you want an excuse for living defeated. 
Somebody said pray for both. Y'all all right? Y'all okay, y'all okay. I'm not asking you to believe me. I'm just asking you to hear me. I mean, if I were to, not stupid enough to ask you to believe what I'm saying, I'm just asking you to hear what I'm saying. Everybody okay? If you're all right, look at him and say, I'm all right now. Man, I thought the devil had my address. He didn't even know what you were doing today in your house. He didn't even know what you were doing because he wasn't there. He can't know what you were doing in your house if he's not able, if he's not there. He just got to wind you up like a little dog. You will let go. The devil's yeah. The devil. The devil. I could be preaching under the influence of the tonight. your neighbor say I'm doing alright now man I thought the devil was after me and I found out it was he wasn't man I've been trying to find out what his name was and trying to map his movements are y'all here man just, what we do sometimes just give ourselves excuses Amen. Blame the poor old devil. I mean, for everything. Blame him for poor old devil. I know y'all can't believe I say poor old devil. <laughs> he is blamed for more things. He, he not he not guilty of it, but you you don't blame him for it. Okay, so anyway, go back to the serious side. Serious side, right? Okay, positive aspects. We could get serious about God. Amen? Come and pray. That's a good thing that comes out of it. Prayer's good. Amen? A desire to live more holy and pure. That's good. Unity in the body. That's good. A focus on evangelism. Winning the lost. That's good. So there's some good things that come out of gathering a church together and fighting territorial spirits. It's not all bad. But here's some concerns. And we've already covered some of them. Saying the names of demons. Saying the right words. Jesus asked, but the question is, is it a common thing? Okay, He asked one time as far as I know. Right? Is it a common thing to do these things? Again, the demon may deceive you. I'm just saying it's not really important. Okay? It's not really important. Uh, and then, if we put everything, as I've been saying, on the devil or demonic spirits, what does that do? There's a concern. It takes away human responsibility. Now, I don't have to be responsible for what I'm doing in my life because I can blame the devil for it or the demon that's coming against me. No, there's human responsibility. Praise the Lord, church. Amen. If you, anybody believe what I'm preaching tonight? Okay, good. Hallelujah. I'm doing better than I thought of. 
1990, 34.2%. 12 years later, 2002, 33%. Amen. Amen. A decrease in the world's population who consider themselves to be Christians. After 12 years lapping the devils out, trying to figure out their names, taking authority over them, praying against them, bringing the church together, and fighting these territory spirits, a decrease in so. Pastor, can we get together and have a prayer meeting against territorial spirits? Encounters. Deliverance encounters. Sometimes people have chemical neurotransmitters such as serotonin and dopamine. These can induce demonic looking behavior. Okay. You get a person that's got a chemical imbalance in them, right? They can manifest what appears to be demonic possession because of the chemical imbalance. You have to be careful. Somebody you see in the church, you think they got a demon. They don't got a demon. They're dealing with a chemical imbalance. Neurotransmitters, I'm just saying, these things, chemical neurotransmitters, can in, induce demonic looking behavior. Okay, here we go. Secondarily, psychological stress. Have you ever seen somebody really, really stressed out? I mean, psychological stress, man. Man, they, I think they got a demon or something. There's something wrong with them. No, they're just psychologically stressed out. Right? But, that, but it appears like they have a devil. A lot of you are psychologically stressed out tonight, but I'm not going to cast the demon out of you. Come on, in the name of Jesus. I went to a concert, probably Sister Christina went. They went years and years ago. And uh, what was the name of that guy that he could really sing? He, over there, but I think he's a Nimitz, Nimitz High School. Do you remember his name? Happy day. Oh, happy day. Anyway, she don't know the name of the guy. But anyway, he's a real, real famous. If you think of it in the next hour and a half, let me know. He was real famous Christian singer, man. He came to Odessa, Texas. The thing got packed out. And after he got through singing all his great songs, he started having people line up. and ca He's like, cast out this devil in the name of... He's casting out demons here and casting out devils here. Al Green. Al Green casting out all kinds of demons, man. Out of everybody. Come to find out after he got through casting out all those demons, he had to go to the hospital himself. That's a true story. He had to go to the hospital. You go get all worked up. Come on, come up here. Cast the demon out of you. Well, you, you better have the Holy, you better be full of the Holy Ghost yourself 
You better be baptized in Jesus' name yourself. You better be right with God yourself. If you've got sin, unrepentant sin in your life, and you're not filled with the Holy Ghost, you better not go trying to cast out demons out of anybody. See, he's going to put on a show, man. He can really sing, so now he's going to show his power, how powerful he is to get up in the hospital. That's a true story. A lot of people, man, they got sin, hidden sin in their life. They're not full of the Holy Ghost. Boy, they're trying to lay hands on them. That's another thing you don't want to do. You don't want to go lay hands on anybody that's got a demonic spirit without first making that spirit subjected to the blood of Jesus. Because in the mission field, if you go lay anybody that's got a demonic spirit and you have subjected that spirit to the blood of Jesus Christ, it'll be like a bolt of lightning hit you and whew, knock you across the room into the wall. Now that's real demonic stuff. That's real demonic possession. I haven't seen that kind of manifestation. But you better be careful before you start laying hands on people and trying to cast demons out of them. Number one, they probably don't have a demon. Number two, if you haven't subjected that spirit to the blood of Jesus Christ, you've got unrepented sin in your life and you're not full of the Holy Ghost, you've got problems on your hands. If you've got this... If you ever come in contact with somebody that's got a demonic spirit and you know you're not right with God, you know what I'm going to tell you to do? Turn around and run! It's not time then to say, Oh God, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. And now, in the name of Jesus, come out! The devil's going to jump on you and tear you to pieces. Most of us, brothers and sisters, have never come in contact with demon possession. Not one time. That doesn't mean that you haven't rubbed shoulders with somebody that has a demon. But you've never been involved in an exorcism. Most of us in our life. But if you do, better make sure you prayed up for the Holy Ghost. No unrepentant sin in your life. And don't lay hands on them before you bring them to subjection to the blood because they will send you flying through the air. Okay? So we talked about the apparent chemical neuro, neurotransmitters that can make a person look like they got demonic spirit, psychological stress, delusional, paranoia, okay? Those are not demonic possessions. Those are psychological problems. And then, thirdly, sleight of hand or illusionist. They try to make, make themselves look like they have power. But all it is is the sleight of hand. They're just through illusion. And what they do is they bring you under their control by using these illusions. It wasn't power there at all. It's the slide of the hand. So those are three things you've got to understand when it comes to apparent encounters. Now, what did Jesus do and say? This is what we want to talk about. 
in Matthew chapter 4. Uh, I'm not going to turn there. I don't have time to read all these scriptures to you. So I'm just going to go down real quick, and I'm going to tell you what's there, and you can read it later. Will you do that? Thank you. God bless you. Okay. As you go through these scriptures, Matthew 4, Matthew 9, Matthew 12, Matthew 15, Mark 1, okay? Matthew 17, Luke 13. What Jesus said and did. The apostles, what they did and said, Acts 5, Acts 8, Acts 16, Acts 19. You will find out, and I'm going to go back over those in just a minute. You will find that whenever Jesus came in contact with somebody that had a demonic spirit, or the apostles came in contact with somebody that had a demonic spirit, they cast them out immediately. Now, Dr. Robert Moray, who is really fantastic, I'm going to share some stuff from him with you tonight. He says it is possible for somebody who's been involved in you know, spiritism, and they're literally demonically... He uses the term possessed. I would say the word is really demonization. Okay? When you find somebody that's really demonized, maybe they've been involved in witchcraft for a long time, he says sometimes it may take hours and hours and hours, even days, to get them completely and totally delivered because it may not be just one spirit, but it may be many, many spirits that are in them, and that is possible. Okay, so I'm not going to discount that possibility. But when I see Jesus or the apostles coming in contact with demonic, demonized people, one thing I see is it was immediate deliverance. Say praise the Lord. All right. Now, so real quick. Matthew chapter 4. When Jesus... After he, you know, he's on the, he's praying and fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards the Bible said the devil came and tempted him. How did Jesus, when the devil came to him, how did Jesus handle the devil? It wasn't a demon, it was the devil himself. Remember? He told Jesus to turn the rocks into bread, showed him all the kings of the world in a moment of time. Remember that? Various things, three temptations. But anyway, what did Jesus do when the devil came? How did he defeat the devil? He said, It is written. You hear with me? And when Jesus used the word of God against him, the truth, the truth. He overcame evil with good. He used the Word of God. He quoted the Scriptures. When He quoted the Scriptures, He didn't have to sell the devil. Now, devil, get out of here. He didn't have to send him away. When He quoted the Scriptures, the truth, when He got done, the devil got out of town. Now, it was only seasonal, the Bible says. He came back again to attack Jesus. tried to kill Him on the Sea of Galilee. So the devil, once he does leave, he does come back at times. But the point being is that Jesus used the Scripture. It is written. And when he quoted that Scripture, the devil had to flee. What do you do? If, the, if there is a demonic spirit there, start reading Scripture on the blood of Jesus Christ. Demon spirits cannot handle the blood of Jesus Christ. 
Start singing songs about the blood. Start reading scriptures about the blood. Read scriptures about one God. You believe in one God, the devil's believing. Tremble. And you might not even have to say, come out in the name of Jesus. You just said, singing about the blood, reading scriptures about the blood, quoting scriptures, hallelujah, and the enemy, he can't handle that. he got to get out of there. That's why I doubt if there's any demons here tonight because when I'm preaching the word of God, man, they're going to get out of here. They can't handle the blood. They can't handle the word of God. So Jesus said it is written in Matthew chapter 4. In Matthew chapter 9, we see a man that is mute. Matthew 9, the Bible says he was mute. And in this case, Jesus does cast that demon out. And the Bible says when he cast the demon out, that the mute man could speak. Okay? I'm just telling you, look and see what Jesus said and did. Matthew 12, 22. There was a blind and mute man. And Jesus cast that spirit out that was causing that man to be blind and mute. And the Bible tells us Jesus made an awesome statement. He said how He did it was by the Spirit of God. You have all the weapons you need. You don't have to know the name of the demon. You quote the Scriptures. Amen. And if you've got the Spirit of God, you've got the finger of God, the power of God, that gives you the power to cast out a demon. And he said, by the Spirit of God, this demon was cast out. The kingdom of God is here. When demons are cast out, because of that kingdom conflict we talked about earlier, it's, it's telling you the kingdom of God is here. Because he cast out that demon by the Spirit of God. That's why you got to be full of the Holy Ghost. Amen? Matthew 15 and 21. Amen. A woman came and said, My daughter is grievously vexed of a spirit. And the Scripture tells us that Jesus healed that young daughter he didn't even have to go in the house. He didn't have to find out what the name of the demon was. He didn't have to do any geographical mapping. From a distance, when he spoke the word, that demonic spirit had to let her go. From a distance. You don't even have to be present in that house. You can just, in the name of Jesus, pray. And God can deliver a person just by that word. Amen? Again, look and see what Jesus said and did in Mark chapter 1, verse 23. Jesus goes into the synagogue. When He goes in the synagogue, the man looks just like a normal human being. Nobody knows that that man has a demon. Nobody. He looks normal. He goes in the synagogue. He sits down. And then when the King of kings and Lord of lords shows up, then... That spirit that was inside of him cried out, disrupted the church service. And what did Jesus do? Ho, 
hold your peace, come out. Basically, shut up. He didn't talk to the devil and say, now Mr. Devil, you know, if you want to, you're making a lot of noise here. You know, I wish you'd be quiet here. No, he said, hold your peace and come out. And the Bible said that spirit left. Again, he didn't map the spirits out, didn't call them by name, no magic words, just said, hold your peace, come out, and the spirit left. Matthew chapter 8. Remember the man, the demoniac? He got legion in him, many spirits. Jesus said, Go. And what did they do? They went. They were talking, had a conversation. Jesus had a conversation with them. Amen. They said, Don't send us into the swine. Jesus, okay, was he talking to the man or was he talking to the demon? You come in contact with somebody that's got a demon, demonic spirit, you don't talk to the person. You talk to the spirit that's in them. You can have a conversation with them. Jesus had a conversation with them. They didn't want to be cast into the swine. Jesus said, well, you're not going to get what you want. He said, go. That's all he said, go. And they left this legion, six to 10,000 demons left that man, went into the herd of swine, and they ran off the cliff and drowned. That's what was going on inside of that man. Suicidal spirit. There was in spirits inside of that man. It was such a horrible thing that the pigs couldn't even live with the devil. Devils. Jesus said, go! And they went off the cliff. 2,000 pigs. Demon-possessed animals he didn't map the he didn't map the geography he didn't call him by name he didn't have no magic words he just said go somebody said amen okay matthew 17 14 there was a lunatic say a lunatic you ever call ever come across any lunatics lately any lunatics in the house if you are a lunatic say amen yeah you are Lunatic, right? Insane, crazy. Lunatic. Moonstruck. That's what lunatic means. Moonstruck. They believe the moon can have a, an influence upon you. Like some of you do. It's going to be a full moon. We might have the baby tonight. The moon has influence. Or it's a full moon. We might get pregnant tonight. Lunatic. Man, y'all so y'all put so much not y'all, but some people put so much emphasis on the astrological planets, where they're aligned, the stars and how they influence the moon and all that stuff, how much influence they have on you. Are you a pagan or what? Man, we're not pagan. Lunatic means he was insane. Why was he insane? Not because of the moon. There was a spirit on the inside of that man. And that spirit would take that man. And his daddy is coming to him and say, Jesus, 
my son. He, the Spirit comes and is inside of him and throws him into the water and throws him into the fire. It means tries to make him destroy himself. Suicidal spirit. Trying to drown himself, trying to burn himself in the fire. The devil will do that. Cause people to lose their mind, want to commit What did Jesus do? The Bible says He rebuked them. He rebuked them. And they removed. He just rebuked them. And then He story about a mountain. He says, you've got the faith the size of a mustard seed. The faith the size of a mustard seed. You say to this mountain, be thou removed and cast into the depths of the sea. And you don't doubt in your heart. He said, when you say that, it will be done for you. All you got to do is just have faith when you come in contact with that kind of spirit. Just say, be gone. And rebuke it. And if you've got faith, that mountain will move. It will move. Give the Lord a hand clap. Oh, man, I feel the Holy Ghost. In Luke chapter 13, there was a Bible. The Bible says there's a woman that was bowed down. Bowed down like this, walking around. Was it 18 years? Was it 18 years? Anybody remember? Anyway, she's bowed over. She doesn't know. She doesn't realize that the devil is the one that caused her illness. Didn't, doesn't know that it's the devil that caused her to be bowed over like this. Jesus notices her when she walks by, being bowed down, her face toward hell. No hope, no eyes lifted to heaven, but just bowed down constantly toward the underworld. Because hell pulls you down, but God pulls you up. Heaven pulls you up, but hell pulls you down over in that position. She was a daughter of Abraham. She was in covenant with God. And Jesus, the Bible says, said this, Woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. And when he said that, thou art loosed from thine infirmity, that woman stood up straight by the power of God. She couldn't raise herself up. Nobody could raise her up. But the power of God could raise her up. You are loosed from your infirmity. So the point is, when you go in and look and see what Jesus said and did. Okay. One time, I see him requesting the name of a demonic spirit. In Acts chapter 8, what did the, the apostles do and say? In Acts chapter 8, the Bible says, Philip cast out demons. And then he preached Christ. He preached the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. People were baptized in Jesus' name and then received the Holy Ghost. There were demons that were cast out, but they weren't saved. In Acts chapter 8, it says there was joy, but they weren't saved. You can have an encounter with the Spirit of God. You can have an, a supernatural experience with God, but that does not mean that you're saved. Demons were cast out of these people. They were full of joy, but they weren't born again. And so Philip preached the kingdom of God to them, and they were baptized in water in the name of Jesus, and they were filled with the Holy Ghost, with the evidence of speaking with other tongues. Just because you have an experience with Jesus, and it might be supernatural, does not mean you're saved. But the point being is this. Look at what the apostles said and did when it comes to spiritual warfare. 
and demons, how to handle them. In Acts chapter, okay, praise the Lord. So you got a demon cast out, now what do you do? You need to get them full of the Holy Ghost. <laughs> they might have repented of their sin. The demon's out. But that just means they're swept and garnished. The Bible says that that demon's going to go and get seven other spirits, right? And return. And when they return, they're going to say, okay, the house is all clean, but it's empty. And they're going to move right back in and that man will be worse than he was than at the beginning. Once you get a person delivered, you want to get them filled with the Holy Ghost. You want to get them filled with the Spirit of God so that when that devil comes back with his buddies, no vacancy here. So a lot of times you cast a demon out, you know. Sort of like we go out and uh, various nations of the world and we get rid of the dictator. Okay? If we don't put something in its place, you're going to have worse that comes. So if you're going to go out and you're going to, you're going to, don't just cast the demon out. Don't just bring somebody to repentance. Are you filled with the Holy Ghost? Are you baptized in water in Jesus' name? Amen. Somebody said, Praise the Lord. You can't be bashful. You've got to have courage. So thank God for what God's done for you. Supernatural experience you've had. But do you have the Are you baptized in Jesus' name? If not, you need it. You need it. It's promised to you. In Acts chapter 16, the Apostle Paul comes across a fortune teller. Amen. Now. He wasn't looking for an encounter. He wasn't. There was time that went by. And this this damsel that's got this demon in her, this fortune teller, is crying out, These are the servants of the Most High God and do show you the way of salvation. The devil, the demon in her was saying, these are servants of God. And they're showing you the way of salvation. And she kept on doing this. And Paul just got sick and tired. Of he, didn't go, he didn't go right up and confront her. Time went by. She kept agitating him. That spirit. Because Jesus, God doesn't need the devil to preach the gospel. You get a, you get a devil preaching the gospel, you got a problem. There's a lot of preachers in the pulpit today and nothing more than demons. God don't need a devil to preach His gospel. And so the Bible says, Paul, he got weary with this woman, this damsel, even though she was saying the truth. Okay? You with me? And what did he say? I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. Alright? So if you want, if you want something to say, Say that. I command you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, come out of her. That's what the apostles did. There's power in the name of Jesus. How many of y'all believe there's power in the name of Jesus? You don't have to know the name of the devil. Just know the name of God. Know the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, come out of her. And as I said before, just like with Jesus, immediate deliverance. Somebody said, praise the Lord. 
Okay, good question. Okay. A sister in the Lord's in this process of learning spiritual warfare. It's good. And she remembered me saying, when you're praying to God, don't, uh, don't talk to the devil. Okay? So, the question then is, if that's the case, you with me? Then how do you cast out the demon? The point is, when you're praying and you're talking to God, Lord Jesus, I love you and I praise you and I worship you. In prayer, don't shift your attention to the devil and start talking to the devil. That takes glory away from God. That's what I mean by that. But if you're casting out a demon, okay, then you use the name of Jesus. You say, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, come out of them. Then you speak to the devil then because you're casting the demon out. But a lot of times people will be in prayer. They'll be talking to God. Then all of a sudden they'll start talking to the devil. Don't do that. Okay? Don't do that. Now, Acts 19. What do the apostles do and say? Acts 19. Aprons came from Paul. And special miracles were wrought by the hands of Paul. Some people call them sweat cloths. So he'd be working on his tents and he'd reach up and sweat cloth and wipe his brow, sweat off his face. And they would take the sweat cloths of the Apostle Paul, where the person had a demon, and the demon would leave. Okay, so here we go now Christian magic. So because it happened one time, and the Bible says that special miracles were done by the hands of Paul, now we're going to get prayer cloths, and we're going to anoint him with oil. Okay? you got a husband at home. So you come up to me, and you say, Pastor, I need a sweat cloth. I'm having problems with my husband. He's a devil. And will you anoint, with, will you anoint my cloth? I say, yeah, I'll anoint your cloth. And then you go, and you put it under his pillow. Nothing happens. We say, well, I thought the, you know, the, the anointed prayer cloth is supposed to deliver my husband of being the devil. That's not a pattern for us to follow. The Bible clearly says it was special miracles. God did special miracles from the hand of Paul. Just because you saw him do it, don't mean that you and I got a pattern. Now we're going to anoint everybody's prayer, you know, napkins and. Put them under the pillow. You, you would be surprised how many people do that. How many men woke up, have ever woke up with a handkerchief under your pillow? Nobody? Now you know. There was a sister in the church. That sister in the church came and gave the pastor $100. And he anointed the sacred prayer cloth. And I put it in there. Now you know, it cost $100. Hallelujah. No, I'm just kidding. I don't do that kind of stuff. Oh, come on. You know, you've seen it on television. Well, if you send me $1,000, I'll send you this anointed prayer cloth. I'll give you holy water. I'll send you some water. It's special water. It came from Jerusalem. Right, it came out of his bathtub. 
<laughs> I remember one time, man, when I was pastoring in Crane, you know, I walked by, I was trying to win these people to God, this family to God, and I walked by, they had this big old picture of Robert Tilton on the side of their refrigerator. Yeah, I'm going to call his name. Robert Tilton. And in those days, you know, he hadn't fallen yet. But I walked by there and the Holy Ghost said to me, you speak to them and tell them, do not support that. And it wasn't but a short period of time after I gave them that word that his ministry fell and he was uncovered. Are you with me here today? But the Holy Ghost said to them, stop supporting them. A bunch of just charlatans out there, man. Okay? And they're using portions of Scripture it's not meant to be used that way. Special miracles from the hands of Paul. Anybody, any Paul? Is Paul in the house? If you're Paul, would you lift your hand? The Apostle Paul. If you're the Apostle Paul, then you can do it. But I'm not Paul. You're not Paul either. So what are you doing, Christian magic? I guess you give me a thousand dollars, I'll do it. Up. Man, I'm probably going to get demon possessed before I get out of here. I keep talking like that. Amen. The Bible says in that same chapter, Acts 19, verse 13. People didn't even know Jesus used the name of Jesus and cast out spirit. Amen. Right? You remember that? Jesus whom Paul's preaches used the name of Jesus. It wasn't even a believer. And the Spirit came out. But when the Spirit came out, it jumped on them and tore them peace, tore the clothes off of them. Amen. Okay, so praise the Lord. The name of Jesus. You want the examples? Okay, praise the Lord. Uh, how many times in Matthew with Jesus, how many times with the apostles do you see them even calling the name of the demon. How many times do you see them gathering the church in a prayer meeting against ter territorial spirits? How many times do you see them in the Bible saying you've got to say certain words to be effective? Amen. Let's stick with the Bible. Okay? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. If I, had to, if I had to memorize a long prayer, I'd forget half of it. And then what would happen to me? Right? Well, i tell you what to do. Write it down. Write it down. Okay, God, I don't know why I'm like this tonight. I'm not normally like, I know this is serious, but I want to tell you something. I'm on the winning side. And the enemy doesn't have authority over me. He doesn't have authority over you. But we're, we, we do things sometimes that, you know, we mean well. We mean well, don't we? Okay. Going a little bit further on here beyond that, let's just talk about some things. How do we avoid demonic influence? First of all, a person that doesn't is not born again, do you know that you can be taken of the devil anytime he wants? Anytime God will allow him to? If you're not born again of the water and the Spirit, 
the Bible says the devil can take you at will. If you're a born-again believer, he can't do that. Right? Because you're in God. The whole world lies in the hands of the wicked one. But we know God, so He protects us. He can't come and touch you anytime He wants to. He can't come and take you anytime He wants to. He can't just do whatever He wants to to you. He can the unbeliever. Right now. As believers though, how can we avoid the influence of the demonic? Ooh. Number one is, according to the Scripture, submit to God and resist the devil and he'll flee from if you. If you want to be completely, totally victorious over that spiritual warfare and that spiritual war, submit to God and resist the devil and he'll flee. Amen? And how do you do that? When temptations come to you, or they come to me, and how many of y'all know every one of us are tempted? Everyone. I'm tempted, you're tempted. Everybody here is tempted at some point in your life. When those temptations come to you, resist the temptations. Don't yield to them. When you and I yield to temptation and we yield to sin, that's when we are opening the door for demonic, demonic influence. Okay? So resist temptation. Don't yield to the temptation to sin. Once you give in to the influence or the temptation to sin and you sin, then the, in, the enemy will influence you. And then if you repeat it and repeat it and repeat it, pretty soon the influence changes from just influence to entrapment. He will take, He will trap you. Are you here with me? So, how many of y'all want to be free of demonic influence? Then don't yield to the temptation to sin. Right? Resist the temptation to sin. As I read to you, draw near to God. Draw near to God. How many of y'all want to draw near to God? You're not drawn near to God. Whew. Let's say somebody here today, tonight, has a demonic spirit. I mean, real deal. If you come in here, or your kids come in here, and their life's full of sin, they're not prayed up, they're not full of the Spirit, they haven't drawn near to God, we can cast that demon spirit out of that person, and it'll jump right on one of your kids. Or it'll jump on you. It's extremely important that you and I draw near to God in this spiritual warfare. Okay? Well, I want to see a devil cast out. Then you might want to go home before we cast them out. Because you might not be ready for that. Or your kids might not be ready for that. Because they've opened the doors to all kinds of temptations and sin in their little world. And all of a sudden demons start flying. And they're going to look for a place to land. Okay? But if you have resisted temptation, you're not yielding to sin, and you're drawn near to God, you don't have to worry about the enemy. He won't be able to take you captive. 
next thing. Know who you are in Christ. Does everybody know who you are in Christ? You know who you are in Christ? If you're in God, God protects you. Do you know who you are in Christ? Do you know the devil doesn't have authority over you? If you're, if you're full of the Holy Ghost, baptized in Jesus' name, and you're not yielding to temptation, the devil has absolutely zero authority over you. Amen? I know who I am in Jesus. That's why I can get up here and preach with boldness and confidence like I am today and not be afraid of what I'm saying is because I know who I am in Christ. He's my focus in life. I want to know Him. He's, he's the one I'm devoted to. I, I want to live a pure and holy life. Glorify God. I'm not worried about the devil tonight. Because He don't have authority over me. He doesn't have authority over you. Do you know that? Anybody know that? Yes, you do. When you get up in the morning, you say, every day, Jesus, today, You are the Lord of my life. You're the Lord of my life. I'm, I'm submitting to You. I'm, I'm going to get right with You right now. And the rest of my day, Lord, You're the Lord over my life. And if You'll do that, declare in the morning, Jesus is Your Lord. That influence of the enemy. Amen? will be avoided and the next thing stay close to the to the body of Christ okay do not become unattached the moment that you or I allow ourselves to become unattached with the body of Christ you will come under huge attack so you have you and I have to stay close to the body of Christ because you know how the enemy works right you know how a wolf works right comes up to a bunch of sheep and that wolf will find one sheep some some weak sheep focus on that sheep and then circle it and eventually get it away from the fold from the flock and once it gets away from the flock it'll destroy that sheep the enemy knows exactly what he's doing. You have to be careful, brothers and sisters, about erratic behavior in your life. When you make decisions to be somewhere else, when you should be here, I'm not saying that's always the case, but there are some times that you better pray and you better seek God if you're going to miss church. Because if you detach yourself you could come under attack and you have no clue as to what is going on. You've got to stay close to the body of Christ. And if you do, you'll win this fight. You'll win this battle. You start trying to be the Lone Ranger and start doing your own little thing, whatever you want to do, whenever you want to do it, you start to act erratic. Very strange. Amen? And the enemy will eventually pull you out of the church. If he can do that, he's got you, man. Right where he wants you. So stay close to the church. Amen? Common sense. Hallelujah. All right.
Now, having told you about some of the things that the church gets involved with, and you know, give you examples of really what to do and what to say and whatnot. Now, I'm going to deal with a little bit of the occult. I'm going to give you some definitions of things. I won't keep you too long. I think we're moving at a pretty good pace here, so I'm not too worried about it. But when you talk about the occult, by the way, this is Dr. Robert Moray, the Encyclopedia of Practical Christianity that I have on my Logos library. When you talk about the cult, the word occult means secret. Okay? Secret or unknown. This was the term that was used in the Middle Ages by people that were involved in witchcraft because they knew that if they practiced it openly, it would call, put, they would be put to death. So they, this term occult means to, to do in secret or to do it hidden, unseen, to escape the persecution. In the 19th century, they changed the name to spiritualism or spiritism. Okay, you with me here? Um, other terms. Parapsychology. Parapsychology describes the miracles, miraculous feats which psychics could do. Okay, just to update you on terms. Now, when you talk about Satan, are you talking about a human being? I gotta go quick because I'm gonna lose your attention, I can already tell. Are you talking about a human being? What is he? Who is he? He is a spirit being. Okay? He does not have a physical body. He is a spiritual being. He is supra-dimensional, which means he has the ability, supra-dimensional, to, to appear in one place or another. Okay? In dimensions. He's able to change. He's able to, right here, he's invisible. He's able to make himself visible in another place. Super-dimensional. Okay. Um, he is a energy being. Is everybody with me here? Let's see here. Let's see if I can get some more information on that. Okay. Superdimensional simply means the devil can pop in and out of both material and spiritual dimensions. And then energy being simply means that he is a spirit and hence does not have a body. Now, that does not mean that the devil or demons cannot take on a physical body. Okay? They can take on a physical body. It's called an electoplasm. Electoplasm. Alright. Which means they literally become or manifest themselves in a physical form. If you were to walk up to a demon that's manifested itself in a physical form and hit it in the face, you would feel pain in your fist. Because it is a real, it's a real manifestation. A physical manifestation. They have the ability to do that. Not only the ability to pop out of you know, the invisible spirit world into the physical world, they have the ability to put on physical, a physical manifestation. Okay? Now, if they're a spirit, they can't eat food. If they're a spirit, they can't have sex. But if they, if they manifest themselves in a physical body, that means they will have a stomach and they can eat. Okay? 
the angels that appeared to Abraham with the Lord in the book of Genesis, the 18th chapter, they ate food with Abraham because those angels took on a physical body. That means they had a physical stomach. So, you with me? Also, Genesis chapter 6, the sons of men came down to the daughters of men and had sexual relationships with them. The results of that, giants were born unto them. A spirit, an, an angel, spirit being, cannot have sexual relationships. But when they take on the form of a physical body, the physical body has sexual organs, just like it has a stomach. Okay? They have the ability to do that. You need to understand that. Not only can they appear as human beings, but they can appear as a snake. They can appear as a dog. They can appear as a cat. Point being, they can appear as animals. They can appear any way they want to appear. Okay? Say amen. He's not going to come in a red suit with a pitchfork. That's not Him. He is a supernatural being. He's more powerful than you as a human being. Okay? Has the ability to travel in dimensions, as we said, and manifest from being a spirit to the physical. And it's a real physical manifestation. Everybody with me here? Praise the Lord. What can Satan do? Real quick. I know I'm, you're getting tired. I'm going to try to get done here. Like I tell you, I don't do this very often. What can he do? Number one, teleportation. Term, teleportation. That means demons like all angels are capable of teleportation. In other words, they can travel through space from one place to another in an instant. They can travel faster than a Concorde jet from America to Africa. Okay? Teleportation. Visible manifestation. We've already covered that. They can materialize and uh, produce a physical materialization in various forms. We covered that. Next thing. Apportation. Apportation. Apport objects. In other words, they can move things and people from place to place through supernatural means. The word apport simply means to take an object and make it disappear in one place and reappear in another place. Alright? If there's demonic activity, let me say, haunted houses, ghost, haunted houses, no such thing as ghost or spirits of dead people walking around in a house. If there's any kind of supernatural activity going on in the house, which it is possible, there's some people who don't believe it. It's real. It is real. Things are moving in the house. People see things uh, moving, apporting, moving from one place to another. That's a very real possibility. Alright, you with me here? But it is not the spirit of a dead person. It is a demonic spirit, a fallen angel, that is doing it. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever encountered anything like this before. If somebody's got spiritual activity in their life, demonic activity in their life, Man, they get up, there's a, there's a clock moved from one place to another. There's a cup that you put here, it's moved. And I know sometimes it's just people just forget what they did. But it's, apportation is very real. You can move one, uh, an object from one place to another. Even make it disappear and reappear somewhere else. Levitation. The devil has the ability to, to cause levitation. Now you know angels can fly, demons can fly. So they have the, the ability to levitate, which means to hover off the ground. 
okay? To float in the air. It's real, man. Not some of the sleight of hand stuff, not some of the illusionary stuff, but real demon activity. The devil can levitate. He took Jesus to a high mountain. He transported Jesus to a high mountain, okay? If he can fly, if he can move, if he can levitate, he can cause people's bodies to levitate and float in the air in a room. That's real. But I'm not talking about the illusionist. Okay? Visions. Matthew 4. Now, Matthew 4 is the evidence of where Jesus moved Jesus from one place, uh, Satan moved Jesus from one place to another. Visions, Matthew 4, 8. Satan showed Jesus all the kings of this world all in all their glory. How did he do it? Putting three-dimensional pictures in the air which showed the glory of the nations passing in review. So anyway, the point is this. Is that Satan has the ability to bring visions. To give visions. That's why you have to test dreams and test visions because every vision, every dream that comes doesn't mean it's from God. It could be from the enemy. Okay? Everybody with me on that? Okay. God gives visions, of course. But this is what Satan can do. Predictions of the future. I mean, there's so much information I don't have time to read it to you. I'm just going to tell you. The devil cannot predict the future because the devil is not omniscient. He doesn't know all things. It is impossible for him to predict the future. But he will appear like he can. He will pretend to be able to predict the future. What he does is he'll come to somebody and he'll speak to them about something in the future. His plan. His plan. He can reveal his plan for something to happen in the future, but because he's not God, he can't make it always come to pass. That's why a lot of times the so-called soothsayers, whatever, people involved in fortune telling, they'll predict the future, it won't come to pass. Okay? Because the devil can't predict the future. He pretends that he can. He'll show a person his plan. But God is the only one who knows everything, is in charge of everything. Okay? The devil does not have any of God's infinite attributes, including omniscience. He does not and cannot know what is going to happen in the future. But this does not stop him from pretending that he knows it. Indeed, pre predicting the future via astrology, palm reading, Ouija boards, crystal balls is the main money maker in the occult. Billions of dollars are wasted each year by people who ask occultists to tell them the future. If the devil knew the future, his servants would be able to make 100% accurate predictions. Yet they cannot. He can perform matter transformation. The Bible says, Aaron, Moses turned the water to, to, to blood. So did the magicians. The Bible says that Aaron and Moses, or Aaron cast his rod down and it turned into a snake. The Bible says the angels did as, I mean the uh, magicians did as well. So the devil can do what is called matter transformation. Counterfeit miracles. Satan loves to duplicate the miracles that God does even if, if, that, if he has to cheat to do it. 
they're not really capable of doing every kind of miracle, say every kind of miracle that God does. They will use some kind of trick, fraud, or illusion to make it appear that they can. They're so deceptive at times, nobody can discover how the fraud is done, but it is a fraud nonetheless. The key is to remember that when we are confronted with what looks like a real miracle done by a pagan cultist, occultist, or new ager, we must begin with the assumption that it is counterfeit miracle until we have the opportunity to check it out. Okay, for example, in healing, I'll, maybe I think it's still in this course. The devil can put a sickness on somebody and then turn around and take that sickness off of them and it looks like the devil healed them. All he did was take off what he put on them. It wasn't a genuine miracle. Okay? Counterfeit miracles. So, and then spontaneous combustion, where animals or people are literally burned up by some kind of supernatural agency. He can do that. Demon possession. He calls it demon possession or demonization. And I'm, I'm reading now from Satan's Devices by Dr. Robert Moray. This is the same Dr. Robert Moray I've been talking about. Okay. Satan and his demons can possess the minds of non-Christians. Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.26 that Satan can take an unbeliever at his will. This is what he did to Judas according to John 13.27. A New Testament demon possession is viewed as being different from physical and mental illness. Matthew 1.32-34. It is not just a trick or a con game. This is such an important subject that we will devote it. He goes on and talks about more of this later on. Okay, so anyway, demon possession of the minds of non-Christians. Plant thoughts. He can plant thoughts. Now, correction. I have to make a correction on a statement that I made a few weeks ago. I said the devil can't read your mind. Okay, that's wrong. That was an error. Evidently, the devil can read our minds. He can't predict the future, but he can read our minds. Because he has the ability of telepathy. He has the ability to read your mind. He has the ability to plant thoughts in your mind. And he has the ability to take thoughts out of your mind. So you've got to be careful to subject your thoughts to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the thoughts you're having, you might think it's God. It's not. Remember the, the parable of the sower? The fowls of the earth came down and swept took the Word of God away from the hearts. That means He can come and take the Word of God out of your mind. That's why you got to guard your mind, especially in church. Because the enemy going to constantly kind of take away from you the Word of God. And He can put thoughts in your mind so evidently He can read your mind. Okay? And this is what He can do. He has the power to kill. Obviously subject to God. Power to kill. Not just the unbeliever, but disobedient Christians. That might be a shock for you. A disobedient Christian can be put to death by Satan. Satan never had the ability to kill the disobedient Christians as well as non-Christians. This is what he did to the children and servants of Job. Job 1.13-19 When a professing Christian is delivered unto Satan for the destruction of his flesh, Satan is allowed to kill that person. 1 Corinthians 5.5 that's heavy stuff. Obviously, he'll seek to hinder understanding so you can't comprehend the gospel. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 4, he tries to blind your eyes. He has the ability to inflict you with bodily illness. Okay. We've talked about some of those. People are blind, deaf, mute. 
because of a demon was present. Okay? Mental illness. Satan can inflict mental illness. Mark 5, 1 through 15. The man who lived among the tombs and broke every chain that was placed on him was suicidal, homicidal, and had tremendous mental problems. Yet, after Jesus commanded the evil spirit to come out of him, the man regained his right mind. Amen? Question for you. You said that the, those uh, demons, they do they lodge in the, the... What is that part of the body? The brain? Not the, not the top part, but the deep. Yeah. Where the holes are, caused by drugs or whatever. You remember when we saw that video where that man, they did an, an analogy of the brains that were addicted to drugs, you know, addicted to pornography and addi addicted to different types of drugs and the holes that were in the brain? Okay, according to her research, that's where the demons reside. They get into that, is that right? To get into that, to lodge into that part of the mind. Yeah, so I'm trying to locate it, is what I'm doing. But it's through like yielding temptations and things, you open the door for them to come. So when you talk about, you know, in the body, does that mean in your tummy? It has to do with the mind, okay? Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay. So, uh, mental illness. Now again, we talked about the chemical imbalance. It doesn't mean everybody has mental illness has a demon. But it is possible that they, that's the, what they're dealing with and don't even know. Now, a psychologist, a psychiatrist, most of them are not in touch with that reality. So they're going to only deal with you in medications and, and, and counseling. But you can't counsel the devil out. You can't medicate a devil out. Okay, inside opposition to God, Acts 13, 6 through 12. Um, a demon possessed musician came against the Apostle Paul. Uh, he has the ability to remove the Word of God, Matthew 13, 19. We've already covered that. Weather manipulation. He tried to kill Jesus on the Sea of Galilee with a storm. Right? He killed Job's children, Job 1 18, 19. Uh, he hinders answers to prayer according to Daniel chapter 10, 12 through 14, 20 and 21. Okay? So that when you pray, there's a, the enemy tries to hinder the answer to come. Um, he will tempt to evil. Satan is called the tempter because his activity solicits. 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 Solicits and incites angels and men to rebel against God. 1 Thessalonians 3 5. You with me here? False religion. The Holy Ghost is reminding me of something. Okay. False religion. Satan invents all false religions and heretical ideas. 2 Corinthians 11 3. 1 Timothy 4 1 through 3. He's the father of all lies. Okay. He can control animals. Aaron was called able to call forth billions of frogs, and so was the magicians. Able to call forth millions of frogs. Okay. Demons can heal. Again, produce counterfeit healings. That means to place a sickness on the person and lift it off of them. Uh, Christian scientists do this. On and on. Speaking in tongues. 
There are many types of speaking in tongues. Psychological speaking in tongues, divine speaking in tongues, and also demonic speaking in tongues. The Mormons speak in tongues. Arians, the Arian cult called the Way International teaches their disciples to speak in tongues. Many occultic groups practice speaking in tongues. Obviously it's counterfeit. Financial affairs. The enemy can cause you to be rich or cause you to be poor. A rich man named Job was made poor because the enemy came in as well. Okay? So the inference is that he can make people rich. All the kings of the world, he's all, to Jesus, all the kings of the world, the moment of time, I'll give these if you'll bow down and worship me. So he can give you power, position, wealth. He will incite disunity in the body of Christ. Satan can disrupt the assembly of the saints by his presence or by inciting disunity, lies, gossip, slander, and divisions. Acts 5 and 6, 1 and 2 Corinthians. So the divisions and lies and all these things that sometimes happen in the church is not just people. There is a demonic spirit behind it, driving it. Okay. We talked about uh, Sunday morning, resurrection fellowship, and how in Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira tried to disrupt that fellowship. God took their life. So we see Satan was behind it. What did Peter say? Why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? Which is proof that he can speak to the mind. Why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? Acts chapter 5. And ultimately what they were doing is they were bringing disunity to the body of Christ. Okay? Depression. Satan can keep believers in a constant state of depression and discouragement. If we do not resist him so that he will flee from us, this is why Peter warned believers in 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9 about the devil's desire to devour us. Amen. Sometimes you can't break depression. You know? You bring depression and buffet. Buffeting believers. Satan can buffet a believer. 2 Corinthians 12, 7. What was this messenger of Satan that buffeted Paul? We're not sure. Some people say that it had to do with his eye. He had poor eyesight. That's what some people say. But Satan can buffet the believer. The occult. Satan communicate with people during seances of other occult. Okay, communication. Occult has to do with the secret, unknown, and communication. So what the devil will do a lot of times is he'll read your social security number. Okay? Or he'll read somebody else's social security number. And he makes it known to the person that's maybe, you know, in the seance or whatever. He has the ability to know facts like that, gather facts like that, about other people, facts that you don't know about. But he brings that communication and gives it to somebody and is communicating, hey, wow. You know? So it's not that he could predict the future or look into the future. He just has facts before him that he knows that you might not know. And so that occultism, that seance and things, uh, is conveyed from his servants. Satan can, Satan can communicate with people during seances of their occultic rites. He can give information with his supernatural origin. He can tell them things which no one can know by any other means than a divine or supernatural source. This is how some occultists can come up with your name and social security number. He or she either got information naturally by some trick or supernaturally from a demon. 
sexual encounters. I've already covered that. Genesis chapter 6. How that's possible. Okay. Amen. Now, the main thing that you need to understand is that he is no match for God. No match for God. Even though he's super dimensional, even though he is uh, energy, he's, he's got a mind, and so on and so forth, he manifests himself physically, he is no match for God. Okay, amen? Satan has a beginning. He was created by God. Definite beginning, therefore, he is not eternal. He is a finite creature, and we should not ascribe any infinite attributes to him. He's not everywhere. That means he's not omnipresent. Brothers and sisters, if he was not in your house the moment you did something, or was you were just there in your house, if he was not in your house, he does not know what you were doing in your house. Because he does not have omniscience. Okay? He has to be there. God is everywhere. God knows everything. He sees everything that everybody does. But the devil doesn't. He has to be there physically. Okay? To know and see what person is doing so he is not everywhere does not know all if Satan knew the future the occultists would be 100% accurate in their predictions but they have only about the same success rate as one would gain from tossing the coin into the air he is invisible usually as I said until he does this thing called ectoplasmic manifestation or materialism that's when he actually gets a physical body. Right? Amen. Praise the Lord. Now, very quickly, I want to give me a minute to find it. Real quick, I want to do a parallel with God, what God does and what the enemy does, because the enemy tries to uh, duplicate. That is if I have it. Yeah. Okay. You got ready real quick? Okay. He tries to duplicate. So, with God, we have prophetic revelation and prophecy. The enemy, they call it pre pre precognition. Right? True prophets, Micah 5 2, false prophets, Deuteronomy 13 1 through 4. Okay, levitation. Are y'all here? Divine levitation. 2 Kings 6 6, John 6 16 through 21, Acts 1 through 9. Remember, Jesus went up in his own power. Acts 1 9. Uh, Matthew 4 5 through 8. Satan has the power of levitation. Teleportation. Genesis 5 24. This is God. Teleportation. The devil. Matthew 4 5 and 8. Molecular transformation. God. Exodus 7 14 through 21. John 2 1 through 11. Turn the water to wine. The devil. Exodus 7 22. Creation of matter out of nothing. 2 Kings 4 1 through 7. John 6 1 through 13. Being the 5,000, remember? Okay. 
um, he doesn't have the ability to create anything. So what he'll do is he will apport something. He'll move from move something from one, one place to the other. There's a difference there. Manipulation of weather. 1 Kings 17 through 19. God. The devil. Job 1 19. Mark 4:37. Spontaneous human combustion. 2 Kings 1 9 through 12. God. Uh, the devil. Job 1 16. Revelation 13 13. Manipulation of animals and insects. Exodus 8 through 9. God. The devil. Exodus 8 7. Telepathy. God. Matthew 9 4. Acts 5 1 through 11. God knows all things, He knows our thoughts. Satan can blind the minds, put ideals in it, or take the ideals out of it. Um, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, Matthew 16, 22 through 23, Matthew 13, 19. Okay? Dream interpretation. Genesis 40, verse 4 through 22, God. Genesis 41, 8, Daniel 4, 6 through 7, the enemy. Visions and revelations. Ezekiel 40, verse 2, 2 Corinthians 12, 7, the enemy. Four, Matthew 4, 8. Out of body experiences. Ezekiel 37, 1. 41 through 2, 2 Corinthians 12, 2 through 4, Revelation 4, 1. Out of body experiences, the enemy, transcendental meditation, yoga, drugs, near death experience. Power to cause sickness and death, Exodus 9, 1 through 12, 1, 1 through 8, uh, God. Power to cause sickness and death, again, God. Exodus 9, 1 through 12, the enemy, Job 2, 2 7, Mark 9, 17 through 29. Power to heal sickness, Acts 3, 6 through 13, God. Christian science, transcendental meditation, psychic healers, etc. Okay. From non life, Exodus 8, 16 through 17, God. Hallucinations possible, Exodus 7, Exodus 7, 11, Revelation 13. 13 through 15. Uh, it's got to be some type of trick. Exorcism of demons. Acts 16, 16 through 18. Matthew 12, 27. Satan can cast out Satan. Signs, wonders, and miracles. Hebrews 2, 4. God. 2 Thessalonians 2, 9. Revelation 13, 13. The enemy. Okay? The tools of the occult. One list of the occult tool is 108 pages. Present... Popular tools, Ouija boards, fortune telling, palm reading, crystal ball, tea leaves, tarot cards, psychic games, seances, trumpets, drums, balls, table wrapping, le uh, levitation, psychic phenomenon, dream interpretation, Taoism, Taoism, excuse me, Psycho uh, psychometry, healing, portation, teleportation of people or objects from one place to another, Satanism, Church of Satan, materialism, uh, materializations, ectoplasmic manifestations, astral projection, out-of-body experiences, transcendental meditation, TM or yoga, drug abuse, astrology. Okay? Divination. The use of occult tools to discern future answer questions or to interpret dreams. Sorcery. The practice of occult arts. Astrology. Arts. Astrology. Stars from the future, for the future and for daily guidance. Enchanter. The caster of spells and of hypnotic trances to find answers in the spirit world, the use of magic. A demon-possessed person. A medium is a demon-possessed person who serves as the contact to the spirit world. Wizard. Human, or wizard, a male medium. Human sacrifices. The appeasement of occult forces by human sacrifices often connected with astrology. Soothsaying. Magicians who perform psychic acts. 
witch or witchcraft, female, medium, or spiritist. Monthly prognosticators, predicting the events of the forthcoming month by the moon and astrology. Okay. And so on and so forth. Conclusion. The Christian cannot have anything to do with the world of the occult. While modern humanists call it ESP, extra-century perception, or psychic experiments, Christians must avoid it at all costs. The satanic origin and power behind the occult must be bodily, or boldly pointed out by Christians. The present occult revolution may be, uh, be the preparation of the world for the coming of the Antichrist who will produce psychic miracles to deceive the world. 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 through 12, Revelation 13 through 13. 13, 13. The Christian does not fear the occult because greater is he that is in him in us than he that's in the world. 1 John 4, 4. While we do not fear, we do have a healthy respect of occult powers. Okay? Obviously, I know you didn't have time to write all that down. So, if you want a copy of this you can have a copy of this, okay? You know, just have to put it in order. Uh, this is how I did. Two, three, four, five, six. Okay. If y'all want, want a copy of this, y'all can have a copy. Okay? Let Sister Lori know and she will get you a copy. All that is is just the parallels between God and the enemy. Uh, in closing, brothers and sisters, this is what the Lord reminded me of. Okay. First Timothy three six. Let's go there. Thank you for your time. I know it's been a long one. If you and I do not want to have an influence of the enemy in our life, then you, you and I have to avoid pride. Okay, pride is the big one. It's big. Okay? Now, 1 Timothy 3.6, not a novice, that means a new convert, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. It's a very dangerous thing for you to begin to be used by God. I know that sounds funny, but it's true. Very dangerous thing. When you start teaching in Sunday school, you get on the platform, you're in the choir, you're teaching on any level, preaching on any level, anything that you're doing in the church, it can incite pride in you. And you will fall into the same condemnation of the devil. So you have to be extremely careful. Walk very close to God so you don't let pride get a hold of you. Now what is pride? How does pride manifest itself? in our life. It's when we take credit for what only God can do or for what God can give. Okay? If I take credit for only what God can do or give, I'm walking in pride. Okay? Say amen. And then, finally, Isaiah 14. When you read Isaiah 14, you will see that the enemy wanted the throne. So when a person is under the influence of a demonic spirit, they want the throne. 
That means they will they are seeking to displace God. Just get rid of him. Okay? So those two things. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hope this has been a blessing to you. Hallelujah. I know it's been long. I apologize for the length of it. But I don't do this very often, so I mean get it get what you can. Because uh, we probably won't do this again for a long time. Amen. The main thing is you focus on the Lord and live for God. Stay close to Him. Amen. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to go through life afraid. Because greater is He that's in us than he that's in the world. And God protects His people. Now, and I, know, I know the enemy still works in nations and he works on people. But really what you have to understand is that when Jesus died on the cross, He defeated the authority of the enemy at that time. And when Jesus appeared, the enemy appeared to Him after He prayed and fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and the devil offered Him all the kings of the world in a moment of time. That was before He went to the cross. When Jesus went to the cross, the wicked one was judged at that moment. Okay? He still does work. He still does have authority, but it is limited. So you can understand it. He is a shackled enemy. He's bound. The strong man has already bound him. And the strong man was Jesus. So he is, even though he's still actively involved doing things, not with the same power and authority he did before the cross. Before the cross, man, think about it. Babylonians didn't serve God. The Greeks didn't serve God. The Persians didn't serve God. They were in the hands of the wicked one. Okay? But now out of all nations of the world now, people are coming to God because He has limited authority. He was defeated at a cross. Jesus bound Him because Jesus is the strong man. So keep that in mind. What Jesus began to do at the cross, He will complete it at His second coming. And you and I, ooh, yeah, okay. Go to Ephesians. I'll show you. Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, Ephesians 1 first, okay? Let's go to Ephesians 1. You want to see what kind of power and authority you have over the enemy? Ephesians chapter 1. And what is the exceeding greatness of His power? Verse 19, To us who believe according to the working of His mighty power, which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead, and set Him at His own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. You see that? After His death, burial, and resurrection, He was placed far above all principalities and powers. Well, what does that mean for you? Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 6, And hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So if He is above all these principalities and powers, because we are seated together with Him in heavenly places, you are also in authority over them. 
as well. May the Lord bless you real good. Would you please stand? Father God, we thank you tonight. Give you all the glory and the honor and the praise and the worship. Thank you for cleansing us with your blood. We repent of all sin in our life. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for the power of the Holy Ghost. Thank you for saving us and delivering us. And now use us, God, to go forth and to see people delivered from the hands of the enemy. Lord, as we declare the truth, as we preach the gospel to them, and as they repent of their sins and are baptized in your name and filled with the Holy Ghost, they move from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your dear Son. Lord God, we give you all praise in Jesus' name right now. Amen and amen.